We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. Mike Trudell and Darius Soriano with you today. And Darius, I have just recently woken up um, after getting back from Phoenix last night early. Uh, that was the nice thing because the game started at 1.30 um, Phoenix time. And the game was disappointing, to say the least, for a Laker team that really wanted and needed to win the game. Anthony Davis played 42 minutes. LeBron played 37. Usually when LeBron is in this type of a mode and the Lakers rotation is somewhat shortened, they have won a lot of these types of games. And that just wasn't the case based mostly off of a really rough first quarter in which Phoenix scored 45 points, the most points in any first quarter that the Lakers have allowed this year. And it was a combination of threes from role players like Royce O'Neal and Grayson Allen uh, that ended up making six apiece. Uh, and Yusuf Nurkic just doing a lot of damage inside on the glass, uh, even as the Lakers somewhat limited Kevin Durant and Devin Booker from an efficiency standpoint. And there are multiple reasons, Darius, that this happened. The main one that I tended to ask the players and coach about after the game was this offensive rebounding discrepancy of nine to zero in the first half and just at least somewhat of an energy gap, uh, I thought, not for the whole team, but for some of it in that first quarter. And the Lakers tried to fight out of that hole throughout the rest of the afternoon and just weren't able to. I think the closest they got was two points until Phoenix pulled away in the end. So a disappointing loss for the Lakers, Darius, in a game that had some standings implications that, that may be felt now um, for the final 20 plus games of the season. Yeah, like we were talking about it. I was writing three things the day before, right, Mike? And because the game was such an early start, we wanted to make sure the preview got up a little bit early. That's a little behind the scenes stuff there. And you and I were chatting offline and just noting like, man, this is actually a pretty important game. Not So the Lakers already have the tiebreak over the Suns. And because of a quirk of the in-season tournament, they actually played the Suns five times this regular season. But the Lakers had already won three of the four previous matchups. So they own the tiebreaker over the Suns. But, Mike, that's only important if the Lakers are tied with the Suns in the standings. Winning this game would have 
given the Suns, I think, 25 losses and kept the Lakers at 27. And two lo- a two-game difference in the loss column is much different than four with only, what, 22 or 23 games left. And, and, and so I thought if the Lakers want upward mobility, they need to start beating the teams in front of them. And this Suns game was one of only six remaining games on the Lakers schedule where they're playing teams that are that are in the same range as them in the standings. And winning all of those games, I thought, was going to be super important. We'll get to all of that a little bit later. In terms of the details of the game itself, yeah, like just a pretty disappointing first quarter. Like the team did not seem ready for the amount of physicality and for the amount of what was going to be needed in terms of secondary efforts behind the point of attack in order to deal with what the Suns were doing. I didn't get to see all of the media, Mike, but I saw some of the quotes from like D'Lo about picking their poison. And the Lakers clearly prioritized trying to slow down Durant and Booker. And to a certain extent, they did that. Booker and Durant combined for 43 points. I think they took 38 shots or something like that to get those 43 points. And they just weren't very efficient offensively in terms of what you would typically expect from them. And to do that, though, the Lakers threw the kitchen sink at them. They played with high hands and really showed extra attention at the point of attack in screen and roll. And when they came off of screens, Phoenix happily just moved the ball against them, Mike. And not only moved the ball against them, but set them up for like really easy shots. Like Nurkic got a ton of action around the basket, basically as a roll man. And even when he didn't get a direct pass, that hard roll to the basket allowed him to establish deep position while Anthony Davis was away from the action. And when AD tried to get back into the action, Nurkic was just bodying him. And I don't think the Lakers did a very good job of supporting AD in terms of getting to the offensive glass. And I didn't necessarily think early, at least, that AD did enough to sort of combat Nurkic's physicality and and really try to battle him. AD got better at that as the game went on, but the hole that the Lakers dug themselves in was too deep. Beyond the Nurkic stuff, the swing-swing action and all of the perimeter passing, Phoenix just did a better job of understanding what the Lakers were going to try to do defensively, and they took advantage of that point of attack defense and the extra attention that the Lakers sent at Booker and Durant, and it set up a lot of easy shots for for Phoenix and credit to the Suns they knocked down the open jumpers yeah I think that there's probably been no podcast in which the Anthony Davis defense um, has been tried has been mounted stronger uh, for much of this season certainly and I actually found myself on for in a rarity on the other side of that in the first quarter and I think that yeah there's context, though, always when you're thinking about Anthony Davis, and, and let's just dig into it a little bit. So first quarter, start with the raw numbers, which only tell you a little bit, and then that's that's why I said we'll expand upon it. But So AD uh, only took two shots. He played seven minutes. He picked up the two fouls, and so he left early. Um, two points, two rebounds, and one turnover with a block. Yusuf Nurkic played nine minutes. Uh, he had eight points, seven rebounds and a block or sorry a steal uh, in one turnover 
and the Suns were up 45 to 28. So Anthony Davis, first of all, has to do more than Yusuf Nurkic. And part of the reason that Kevin Durant and Devin Booker uh, didn't go off in the first quarter for the rest of the game is because AD was often coming up to help. Um, and, and often just showing at various different angles. And but, you know, he's not just focused on Nurkic uh, inside and at the rim and on the glass. He's having to try to limit the rest of the Suns, whereas on defense, Nurkic, for the most part, is just kind of camping out um, down, you know, down low and trying to do try to guard somewhat in the way that Jokic did in the playoff series last year, where just not trying to give the Lakers these open lanes by using his girth and his bulk and um, by clogging things up down there. And so that's those, those are two different things. And I, I think that that helped Nurkic in some way, but Nurkic also was just in this kind of bully mode that usually I see Anthony Davis take to him. Um, and Davis has just erased Nurkic from certain games in the past. And, you know, you have to give some credit to Nurkic for coming out and playing with this level of, of aggression. I thought that that started to shift, especially in the second half. And AD had the great bulk of his production. So I think, let's see, in the second half, AD had yeah 18 points and nine rebounds with two steals. Uh, he played the vast majority of the second half. He played 22 minutes and 22 seconds. But uh, you, we had had some exchanges about AD in the text thread in the context of Nurkic, Darius. So I wondered what you made of the whole matchup. Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things at play. Everything that you laid out is spot on. I don't think AD did a good enough job of of meeting the aggression that Nurkic was was bringing. I also thought AD's focus was actually three ways. It was on helping on Durant and Booker. It was somewhat on Nurkic, and it was somewhat in terms of frustration against the referees. Right. And so very early, A.D. did pick up those those two fouls. But Mike, he was also clearly frustrated that he was not getting the same whistle on the other end. And you could tell that he was mad by the time that he got pulled out in in the first quarter. Um, A, because he was not getting a lot of offensive touch like touches, but B, when he did get his touches, they weren't necessarily leading to anything. And he thought he got hit on on a finish inside. He got frustrated at a ball that he thought went off of a Suns player, but it was called off of him. And you could tell that he was starting to get surly about things and he was not in the focused, like destroyer of worlds headspace that I think he probably needed to, to be in considering not just the stakes of the game, but the multiple efforts that are going to be required of him based off of how Nurkic was playing. But Mike, I was pretty frustrated from an AD apologist standpoint. I just thought that the Lakers were not involving him enough offensively and that when the matchup on the other side of the court is Nurkic, and Nurkic is really their only their only deterrent to AD at all in terms of defense and size because um the Suns backups have nothing for AD at all that I thought they needed to use the level of attentiveness to getting him the ball that they showed in the second half I thought that should have been an all game effort and for AD to have as few touches as as he did and basically just be a screener, which is 
really all he did in the first shift and a half that he played, maybe even like the whole second quarter as well. He was just doing a lot of screening and rolling into the void. He wasn't getting those pocket passes. He wasn't getting any post-up chances. And I just don't think that that's the approach the Lakers need against a Suns team that's going to have trouble defending the basket. And on the opposite side, I thought the Suns did a very good job of saying, oh, this is the way that you're going to play us. We're going to attack the basket. And not only with that starting group, Mike, but with their bench groups as well. Like the second half of the first quarter, the Suns blitzed the Lakers and they went to a bigger lineup when the Lakers went to their substitution groups. And maybe this is a good place to take a break so we could talk about some of the lineup stuff in context of the Suns game. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's do that. The lineups and the rotations, a familiar topic in Lakerland this season. But I want to I want to add one note on AD first, but just the the you talked about the post-ups or lack thereof in the first half. That's their most efficient play on the season for the Lakers in AD post-up. And I think the last time that I checked it was ninth in the league uh, for a team's best play. An AD post-up for uh, for the Lakers ranked ninth amongst all teams' best plays uh, for points per possession. And so it is odd then that the Lakers wouldn't focus more on that, especially in a game that they were really focused on uh, and in a game where the Suns weren't going to be able to deal with that other than essentially doubling because he could have just attacked Nurkic all night and it didn't happen. Um, so that's something to, I guess, that will have to be brought up again in the future. Now, the rotations. This has somewhat to do with Anthony Davis as well because we've – We've talked about once the Lakers made this shift to be bigger, um, that has given AD some additional energy. And earlier in the season, these matchups, Christian Wood ended up being a key player because the Suns shoot so many jump shots and the Lakers have to bring Anthony Davis out to help contest 
so many of those, whether it's uh, Booker or when Beal is healthy, which has not been often, um, or Durant. And there's got to be somebody flying in to clean up um, the glass. And there just wasn't in this case. Uh, I thought that Rui Hachimura, who played 26 minutes, didn't do enough uh, on the glass and sort of defensively, even though I thought he should have played more. Um, but So that was that spot was there. And then off of the bench, it was all smalls that were playing. Jackson Hayes only got five minutes. It was in the first half. Max Christie, who, sir, is a, a smaller player relative to big men, but is the bigger of the guards who can actually rebound, only got one five-minute shift in the second half. And that left you with 27 minutes of Torian Prince and 24 minutes of Spencer Dinwiddie. And between them, uh, they scored 11 points and had three assists. And so, so it wasn't like they were killing on the offensive end uh, to make up a lot of that gap, partly because Reeves played 36 minutes, Russell played 37 minutes, LeBron played 37 minutes, and we already talked about AD uh, playing almost 42. So it, it just ended up, Darius, here with the point for me. Very, very often, the Lakers were small um, at the three, again, um, next to two guards that are not necessarily larger. And there isn't that swing player, be it Christian Wood or be it in this, who not available, of course, or be it to me, Jackson Hayes, who could take some of that dirty work, lifting, rebounding, all of that um, loose balls, 50-50 balls off of the plate of Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And this is in a game where LeBron was doing a lot of that. This is not a game where LeBron sat around on defense. Like he was guarding Kevin Durant and doing it well. Yeah. And in the and second LeBron, half. That's right. Yeah. And like I thought LeBron, you know, sure, in the first quarter, maybe there were a couple plays where he got beat to 50 50 balls, but this was not a low energy LeBron game um, by any means. And that to me gets back right back into that rotation and deciding to play smaller. And it it just not ended up ending up working from a win loss perspective or a plus minus perspective while a lot of those groups were on the floor. Yeah, it's interesting. So from a strategic standpoint, I thought the Suns did a very good job of countering the Lakers small lineups with their big lineups. And the Suns did the inverse of what a lot of teams have been doing lately in that they brought bigger players off of the bench and their reserve groups had more size than even what their starting group had. And a player who did not play last night for the Suns, who would have played, was Eric Gordon. And so Gordon not playing actually facilitated bigger lineups for the Suns because they went to Okoji. And Bull Bull played a fair amount of minutes, Mike, and he played them in these front court groups where he was like, a small forward next to Durant in some of these groups with Eubanks even. And so that stretch where we talked about in the second half of the first quarter, I think the Lakers were a minus three, I think in the box score when Rui went to the bench and the Suns lead went from three to like 15 or 18 in the matter of just a handful of minutes as they played these bigger lineups against the groups that then were smaller. And so there were several plays where Torian Prince was tasked with like trying to box out Nurkic or trying to box out Bull Bull. And that just wasn't working. Over the course of the game, that sort of stuff showed up over and over again, not necessarily at the fault of Torian Prince, but it's 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 just like they were playing these lineups that just didn't have the size to match up with the size that Phoenix was deploying. And 
for several stretches, Mike, it was Prince that was defending Durant and it just worked out that way, right? Or that was the main assignment because LeBron was on the bench and like Prince's responsibility there, no one's going to stop Kev, like Kevin Durant. But if you're going to have Prince on Durant, I think that you then need to have the support around him in order to help support the size for rebounding and everything else that you need to do. And that's why hindsight, and maybe in the moment, but hindsight for sure says that that's where Max Christie probably needed to play more or even deploy Jackson Hayes next to AD so that you can have that secondary size to come in and rebound some. And it just wasn't there for the Lakers this game. There's some key stats and Pete was sharing them with us. And so we'll probably hold this until Pete's back to speak about this. But I was doing some lineup data digging going into to the Suns game, Mike. And one of the things that it shows is that a lot of the five-man groups, the ones that are positives, are all built around the concept of having three legitimate like forwards or bigs on the court at the same time, right? So any combination of LeBron, AD, Vando, Rui, Wood, or Hayes, any of those six, six players, mix and match those guys together. And that's typically the front court of the five-man groups that are successful. But on the ones that don't have one of those guys at the three, Max is in the game as well. Because as you noted, his rebounding is important and his positional size is important. And to have neither of those things happen with Hayes getting so few minutes and with Max getting so few minutes, I think it really sort of showed up in ways that aren't as quite tangible, but showed up in the box score anyway. Well, in this specific matchup, which I would say it's unlikely that the Lakers see the Suns again, uh, just based on where they're at, like the Suns aren't going to, at this point, I guess, well, there's a chance they could drop down to playing territory, right, if they continue to be as injured as they are. Um, but right now, you know, they are, they have four fewer losses than the Lakers and three more wins. And that, you know, that just ends up being a decent chunk. And they're, they're a good enough team to win a lot of regular season games, even though they do have a tough schedule. So it is possible, but we'll, let's just say that if not, you know, Frank Vogel, I think, would have a pretty good idea as to which types of lineups to put against LeBron and AD. Uh, and as you said, he chose to play bigger um, for almost the entire game. Bull Bull got 24 minutes off the bench and no, not a single one of his starters played fewer than 37 minutes. Royce O'Neal ends up looking like a genius move for this specific game because as LeBron said before the game, he had not been shooting the basketball particularly well. Uh, but he certainly did on this occasion. Not only did he make six threes in 10 attempts, but he had nine rebounds. He had four assists uh, and he had a pair of steals. He was a plus 22, which was the best in the game. And to counter that, so take this matchup aside for a second, because we I want to move on to the standings. But first, I want to touch on what you were saying about the groups in a game that counts like this. Why do you think Hayes's minutes were limited to 533 like or five? Yeah, 533. What what was the concept there how much of it was matchup based with phoenix and sort of this idea of perimeter players and you know do you think that moving forward especially these two weeks in which christian wood is out colin castleton who could have been a backup big is out um, with a wrist injury and then we still don't have the updated timeline about jared vanderbilt and his potential return 
what do you think that that minutes kind of that that should look like versus what it did in this game? Yeah, so I think part of what happened, to be fair to Darwin, is that AD's foul trouble. AD typically plays the full, the full first quarter, and there is normally a stretch where Hayes comes in at the end of the first quarter, plays some minutes with AD, and then can wrap around and be on the court to start the second quarter when AD is on the bench and then be the center in the LeBron-led units. That did not happen this game because AD went to the bench, right? Early. And then when AD went to the bench, AD started the second quarter because he had been sitting for so long. So the rotation, the big man rotation got thrown off to a certain extent based off of the foul trouble. I would have liked to have seen, though, Hayes to get some minutes in the second half with AD, particularly if AD was going to play the entire second half. And Darwin never got back to that look. And I think that in a game where the Lakers were struggling on the backboards and they were struggling for strategic reasons, I thought. Like the sun spread you out and then Nurkic's ability to sort of camp out down low was creating problems and the guards were not doing as good of a job of sandwich rebounding when AD was trying to recover back. And, and, and so having a bigger player down there to sort of help navigate that would have been helpful, I think. Wood's going to be out, right? You had reported this the other day. The team announced that he would be reevaluated in two weeks. And so he's got another 10 or 12 days before he's even going to be reevaluated. Now, maybe he'll return on day 15 after being reevaluated on day 14. But that's not normally how stuff like this works. So let's just say it's two weeks, two plus weeks. Without Vanderbilt as well, I, I don't think the Lakers can afford to play Hayes as just a backup center to Anthony Davis. I think there are going to need to be minutes where AD essentially is the, the power forward or Hayes is the power forward in lineups where you're supporting them better. He can because he can move his feet on the perimeter as well. You know, too defensively. So I think that, that there's a he can be a little bit more versatile. Um, even if he's the on offense, maybe there isn't as much utility, but defensively there is. Just to say one last point there, offensively, Hayes is a good role man, Mike. And so AD can play in the corner, and you can still do some of the stuff that you're doing, like the same actions you run for LeBron in terms of pin downs and stuff like that. You can run those for Anthony Davis as part of a five out action where just have AD do the stuff that you asked LeBron to do. He's not going to shoot the three ball the same way that LeBron does, but he can play from those same spots on the floor. And then Hayes can occupy the spot on the court as the five man that he's most comfortable playing. So there is there is a way to incorporate him even in AD lineups. And I just want to make sure that we're being clear about that. So let's go to break here. And when we come back, I want to talk some standing stuff and the chase. Well, the standings page, it's always going to be up there for me as uh, amongst my favorites. And even more so now, a couple of things happened last night that actually were pretty good for the Lakers. And that hasn't been super consistent lately with the way that the standings have been and just how many teams in the West 
have been winning games. And, you know, for context right now, the 10 seed in the East is Atlanta at 25 and 37, seven games under 500. And the 10 seed in the West, uh, Golden State, is 29 and 27, two games over uh, 500. So there's this there's this growing discrepancy uh, between conferences and just showing how difficult it's going to be in the West. And last night, New Orleans lost, Dallas lost, and Golden State lost. The three teams right in that play-in mix with the Lakers. The Suns having won, move up to the six, and the Kings beating the Clippers in a at least somewhat surprising game, despite Paul George not playing. Uh, they move up now to the five seed at 10 games over 500. The Kings are a team that you've heard me uh, critique throughout the season, and I continue to marvel at how they don't have a single injury on their team for two straight years. They deserve credit for that. Their training staff deserves credit for it. Uh, They've been like, remember when I was going through, I think it was you and I, when Pete wasn't on a pod and I was looking at this big, this stretch that they had and it was Denver, OKC, Phoenix, Denver, San Antonio Clippers. They have now beaten Denver twice in that context. One in one of the games, I think either Murray or Porter jr. Didn't play. And the other one, Denver just barely showed up um, and gave effort because I guess they're tired after winning the championship last year, um, which is something we predicted. So it's not, not not uncommon. But so they Sacramento then is the beneficiary. And, and Darius, the reason I bring that specific case up is because the Lakers can't really afford to have a number of these teams just continuing to win these games. Like they have to have somebody fall off or they're just going to stay right in that 9-10 game um, and then and then have to win. Even if they win a home game, if they're the nine, then they're going to have to go to the loser of the seven, eight. And it's just the, the the degree to which the season is being condensed now is is increasing the pressure on each one of these games, which is why we put the emphasis on the Lakers and Phoenix game. So the only flip side of this series that I will say, and if you're looking for some optimism, the Lakers don't have to leave the state of California for literally a month. Pete pointed this out yesterday. It was like, oh, Trudell, you don't have to go on a road like out of the state. I mean, yeah, just Sacramento. That's the only road game up until a beast of a road trip at the end of March, aside from the at Clipper game, which is coming up on Wednesday. So there the Lakers have a bunch of tough opponents in that stretch, but they are at least going to be in their building. Uh, and they therefore, Darius, they do have a chance to get uh, to do some damage in the standings. But each time they lose a single game, it, it proves to be pretty costly based on all of these teams having four fewer losses than the Lakers already. Before we started recording, I was talking to you about how the Lakers have been on the treadmill of late. Um, they had made their little push to get back up over five, like 500 after being a team that was like two games under and then one game under and then 500 and then one game under and then one game over and then 500. And they had just been going back and forth, back and forth. They made their push to get to four games over, but coming out of the all-star break, they, they lose a Golden State, then they win um, a, a well-played game for the most part against the Spurs. The final margin was not indicative of how much the Lakers had been up during that game. Um, and then they lose now against the Suns. And so they're one and two coming out of the All-Star break. And I had messaged you guys last night saying that I don't think the Lakers can look for help from any of these other teams like they need to get off the treadmill themselves and they need to go out and start doing some road running Mike like they need to make some progress themselves and they need to make a push the last time 
that the Lakers had such a schedule like this. We were looking forward to it when we were in December. Remember, the Lakers were like had been on the road a bunch and it was the in-season tournament stuff. And like Darwin had sort of lamented the idea that it's just like, well, we went to Vegas and then we were here and then we were there and then we were home for a day and then we had to go back out on the road. And it, it was a pretty chaotic schedule. And then they had that stretch in January where we were just like, ah, this is going to be it. This is the chance we're there at home for all of these games and they can get comfortable and hopefully they can go on a push. And that's not what happened at all. And we're running out of runway here, Mike. Like if the Lakers are going to be a team that climbs out of the 9-10 game and into the 7-8 game or potentially even get to the sixth seed, this is the stretch where regardless of opponent strength, they need to show that they are going to step up their level and no longer be the team that's on the treadmill and running in place. They need to start moving forward some and show the upward mobility that they've hinted that they're capable at, but haven't put it together yet. Yeah. So you'll start to hear a lot about, you know, remaining strength of schedule. And there are a couple of different places. Like I always go to the one on Tankathon for this. Uh, Phoenix does have the toughest schedule remaining, but the Lakers have the fifth toughest schedule remaining in terms of strength of just the win percentage of the opponents they play. Sacramento has the eighth and New Orleans has the 10th. Dallas has the 18th and those are, and then Golden State has the 25th. So Golden State actually has the fifth easiest uh, stretch. Although Golden State is going to have to be on the road a lot more than their home. So the one thing that isn't factored into the strength of schedule is home road. And that's an important thing. (laughs) That's an important thing when you're having to go to, uh, for example, if you're, well, you get it. Uh, this is a very smart audience. We understand the, the, the difference between those things. So um, I think a, a key stretch to just pin down here is the first five games in March. And this is after the Lakers get through the end of this week, which is at Clippers and then Wizards at home. We'll see if Paul George plays in that one. Here are the five games to start March, and they're all home. Denver, OKC, Sacramento, Milwaukee, Minnesota. So those are all very good teams. Um, I I think that. You know, I've well, I've said enough about Sacramento, but they are they are playing well enough right now to be considered um, amongst that group. The Lakers should, Darius, and I use kind of quotes in this sense, they should have the motivational aspects on these opponents that they're playing and that the game is more important to the Lakers than it is to those teams in the context of the standings. Like Denver is fine um, where they're at right now in the standings. OKC is in great shape. Minnesota is in great shape. Milwaukee is in good shape, um, certainly in the East. And then Sacramento, uh, they'll maybe they'll have you know, a little bit more of that where if they, they figure if they lose to the Lakers, right, then that ground that they would lose um, isn't ideal. But this is what happened, I thought, last year after the All-Star break. The Lakers got a team together that made enough sense and and clicked enough on offense and defense that if they approached games with a certain level of urgency, which they did, they won a lot of those games against teams, even that were just as good as them or that uh, that because those teams were in a better position in the standings. And this is why I throw out to some extent the strength of schedule thing, because the day to day motivation and what a team needs has has a lot of impact at this point of the season. And you can especially say this for the tanking teams or at least the rebuilding teams, you know, and the, the teams that necessarily uh, that don't need a, a win in that context. So what do you make of that stretch and just all of these mental factors that I'm talking about 
take aside the actual basketball matchups on the court, which are, of course, significant. I would extend that even one more game to the first six games because they play Sacramento again in that sixth game. Right. And so to get the Kings twice during that stretch, by the way, it's just another team that's right in their heels. So, yeah, the whole month is really like that. Yes. And, And so they play the Kings twice and they play the Warriors twice each before the end of the season. They also play the Pelicans once. And those are the games, Mike, where they need to win those specific games, I think. And the Kings right now have, I think, 23 losses. Yes, they have 23 losses. Yeah, they're 10 games over 500, yeah. If the Lakers could beat them and take them to 25 losses, while the Lakers have 28 losses, like I'm not saying the Lakers are going to catch the Kings necessarily, but... Those are the games where if you're going to move up the standings, those are the games you need to win. I'm with you on the focus and the mentality aspect. A part of this, though, is like, help me help you in terms of like the lineup stuff that we were talking about the last segment as well. The Lakers are in a tricky position. Several of their bigger players are injured. And there's going to be a natural proclivity to play these smaller groups because they make up a bigger portion of the guys who are used to playing heavier minutes and who the coaching staff trusts, who are veteran guys. I don't begrudge looking at Prince and being like, I want to play Prince. Or looking at Spencer Dinwiddie, who is a new addition, and saying, I want to play this guy. But to me, Dinwiddie and Prince are probably in competition for minutes with each other more than they should be in competition for minutes with like Max Christie and Jackson Hayes. I think Max Christie needs a real role on this team, particularly because of his point of attack defense and his rebounding. And I think Hayes, who is a good energy player and who is going to help on the glass, who is going to help defensively, and is just going to be a helpful player just because he's he's taller and athletic and has rim gravity offensively, those things are going to be useful to, to the Lakers. I think both Max and Hayes need to be above 10 minutes a game. Like, I think they need to play two shifts a game each, right? And that means those minutes need to come at the expense of somewhere. I've liked what Dinwiddie has has provided. And I think we'll get more into this when Pete is on, because I want to talk a little bit more about three guard lineups and how to best support them and how Dinwiddie fits into three guard lineups um, in a way that is different than like Prince, because Prince is being used as a forward, but I think Prince is more of a guard in reality in terms of his physicality and what his skill set is. But that's where I think, Mike, that it's not. It's not just about like, oh, we're going to have more urgency. Speaking from the Lakers perspective, we're going to have more urgency and that's going to help carry the way that urgency and energy needs to be backed up with the players who are physically able to impact the game with their physicality and the force that they can play with. And that to me skews more towards Max and Hayes rather than basically saying like, oh, well, we're going to continue to play a lot of these smaller groups. 
All right, it's a good point to end on. The last note that I would say, for, especially for the March schedule, only one back-to-back, and it comes at Milwaukee, at Memphis, just kick off that long trip at the end of the month. So the Lakers will have at least pretty good rest relative to the rest of the league for LeBron and AD, which to me is even more significant without Vanderbilt, without Wood, you know, without some of that, some more big guys to take on some of those roles. So uh, we'll see if the Lakers can start to get off of the treadmill um, as Darius laid out. And uh, we will see on that. But until then, appreciate you guys listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast, and we'll see you next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Miss it. Bryant. Unbelievable. Victory. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.